What you're about to listen to is a Pod Bros exclusive. Age of the Geek, baby. We run the world. I see you shiver with anticipation. Man, what's gotten into you? How's everybody doing? It is time for another episode of Dave's Nerd Compendium. And everybody knows I'm a big Stephen King fan. I mean, I've said it countless times, uh, especially when I was reviewing uh, the Stephen King universe and reviewing the movie The Dark Tower and how it wasn't really a movie adaptation of the books, but it was a continuation of the series. Well, uh, comicbook.com came out with an article titled Stephen King Movies Ranked. And this was put out uh, right around Christmas of this past year. And they list 39 of his movie adaptations. I'm going to read to you the way that they were ranked from 39 to 1. And I will give you their little synopsis of each one. So the first one, number 39, is The Mangler. Based on a same-titled short story and directed by horror legend Tobe Hopper of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist fame, this 1995 entry is about, well, a laundromat press from hell. Go do your laundry instead, the Austin Chronicles Mark uh, Savlov advised. Number not, or 38 is Maximum Overdrive. Not the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, so this is the 1986 title about a Machines Gone Bad Mark Stephen King's only work thus far as director. The film was ignored by audiences, but it did gross less than $8 million, uh, domestic box office. And savaged by critics, the <laughs> New York Times judged it one long car crash movie. Number 37, which I mentioned in... The last episode, Silver Bullet. This 1985 werewolf tale starred uh, Gary Busey and Corey Haim, based on the novel Cycle of the Werewolf, was the first Stephen King adaptation to draw large negative reviews. The Chicago Tribune's Rick Kogan called it about as frightening as a rubber Richard Nixon mask. Number 36 on the list is Graveyard Shift. 
King himself is not a fan of this 1990s film, an adaptation of his short story about a mill with a serious rat problem. It's where he calls it a little bit like yuck. The uh, San Francisco Chronicles branded it the all-time worst King movie. Number 35 is Thinner. This 1996 adaptation is about an overweight lawyer who's cursed to lose weight. The Baltimore Sun's Michael Olove uh, called the, out the movie for providing little suspense and disparaging gypsies, Italians, and women altogether. Although, I remember reading the book Thinner. I don't remember seeing the movie, but if somebody could curse me like that to where I would lose weight, I would be happy, but I digress. Number 34 is The Dark Tower. This 2017 sci-fi western based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, which is wrong on their regards, starred Edra Selba and Matthew McConaughey. The Philadelphia Daily News faulted the $60 million film, which grossed about $50 million domestically for a silly script. Number 35 on the list is Dreamcatcher. Now, loads of talent, including Morgan Fishburne, screenwriter William Goldman, and director Lawrence Kasdan, came up short with this 2003 adaptation about a camping trip from hell. Dreamcatcher has no business being this bad, wrote Jack Matthews of the New York Daily News. Number 32 on the list is The Night Flyer. This bloody vampire tale took in only 125,000 from 95 screens in 1998, per Box Office Mojo. Critics passed on it, too. The New York Times' Stephen Holden called it devoid of wit and only minimally suspenseful. Number 31 on the list is Riding the Bullet. A distressed young man tries to hitchhike his way home in this 2004 rendering of a short a story of the same name. A non-entity at the box office when it grossed less than 135000 domestically. Entertainment Weekly's Owen uh, Gildem, uh, sorry, Glibberman, there we go, said the film was uh, fil falls short of its source. Yeah, I remember watching it and thinking that it, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good either. The next movie on the list actually sounds interesting, and I have not seen it. I vaguely remember reading the book. It's called Cell. A cell phone signal sparks a zombie apocalypse in this 2016 adaptation featuring a screenplay co-written by King. The film reported no domestic grosses 
and got bombed by critics. The movie's only or the movie only proves how hard a job it is to adapt Stephen King's work. Even the author himself can't ace it, Judge Noel Murray from Los Angeles Times. Number 29, Sleepwalkers. This 1992 movie about energy vampires, killer cats, and virgins delighted audience who made the $15 million movie a $30 million box office hit. Critics, however, weren't sold. You expect more from King, wrote Miami Herald's Rene Rodriguez. Number 28 is a movie I own on VHS tape, Pet Cemetery. Released in 1989, this entry is about a burial ground where the dead come back, or don't stay put, I should say. Adapted from King's novel of the same name, Pet Cemetery is his fifth highest grossing movie of all times. Uh, reportedly, 57.5 million domestically. Still, Variety says, Squandered is chilling and fertile source material. Or Squanders, it's chilling and fertile source material, I should say. Number 27 is Creepshow 2. This 1987 anthology sequel to Creepshow features a script by zombie king George A. Romero flopped with audiences and critics. Time Out London said the only terrifying thing about this was the thought of Creepshow 3. Number 26 on the list is Stephen King's A Good Marriage. <clears throat> Excuse me. This 2014 thriller featuring a King screenplay is about a woman, played by Joan Allen, who learns her husband is a serial killer. Robert Ing or sorry, Roger Ebert.com's Brian Tullicaro called A Good Marriage arguably the dullest King movie ever. Number 25 on the list, Needful Things. In this 1993 entry based on the same title novel, Ed Harris plays a sheriff in a small town uh, that is thrown into turmoil by a new antique shop. It should have been edited with a meat axe, wrote Mike LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicles. Number 24 on the list, The Running Man. In this 1987 science fiction action hit, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a wrongly convicted cop who put or put through the paces of a sadistic reality TV show. Critics uh, bought in, but only up to a point. TV Guy magazine calls it a frustrating experience. Number 23, Children of the Corn. A Nebraskan cornfield turns kids into killers in this low-budget 1984 thriller that reaped nearly 15 million domestic box office bounty. New York Times' Vincent Canby said the movie has 
a kick to it, even though it hasn't much taste. Number 22, Secret Window. Based on the novella Secret Window, Secret Garden, this 2004 thriller starring Johnny Depp as a writer who's accused of plagiarism, critics said the film lacked originality. The window ultimately feels like one of, or feels like one must, one most of us have climbed through before. That makes no sense, but it was written by Michael O'Sullivan from the Washington Post. I think they should have added a little bit more to that to give it a little bit more context. Next on the list is Firestarter. This 1984 movie about a girl with pyrotechnics marked a nine-year-old Drew Barrymore's first star vehicle. Despite the fireworks, critics panned the film as boring. Now, they say her first star vehicle. This was Drew Barrymore's first leading role. But Drew Barrymore's first role was actually in E.T., which I think came out even earlier than that, like 1980. Number 20 on the list is Apt Pupil. This 1998 thriller, an adaption of the same titled novella, was directed by Brian Singer's 1998 follow-up to The Usual Suspects, starring Brad Renfro as a teenager who comes under the tutelage of a Nazi war criminal, David Schwimmer, co-stars as the boy's uh, concerned high school counselor. Apt Pupil is too serious to work as a genre movie and too contrived to be taken seriously. Uh, that was by David Anson of the New York Times. Number 19 is one of the few remakes of a Stephen King adaptation, and that's Carrie uh, that was put out in or sorry, 2013. Chloe Grace Mortez won praise for her role in King's classic boy uh, telekinetic teen, but the 2013 film itself received a mixed reception from moviegoers and critics. USA Today's Claudia Pogue said the film offered a purely cosmetic revamp. Number 18 on the list is The Dark Half. The author is stalked by his pseudonym in this 1993 adaptation from the creep show franchise's George A. Romero. Critics were meh on the movie. You'll see worse, wrote the Boston Globe's J. Carr, but The Dark Half could have been darker. Number 17 on the list is Hearts of Atlantis. In this 2001 period piece, adapted from the novella Low Men in Yellow Coats, an 11-year-old boy, played by Anton Yelchin, God rest his soul, is befriended by a boarder 
with mysterious powers. Critics found it too snat or too sappy. What a shame, though, that the movie isn't a livelier business. Uh, Peter Trevor from Rolling Stone said. Number sixteen on the list is Cujo. In a 2016 interview with Deadline, Cujo called the 1983 bad dog movie one of his overse best small pictures. Time Out London, however, complained that the pooch was miscast. Rabid St. Bernard tend to evoke pity rather than terror. Number 15 on the list. Christine. Halloween master John Carpenter helmed this 1983 film adapted from the novel of the same name about a 1958 Plymouth Fury with possession issues. The Chicago Sun Times Roger Ebert found the film dumb fun. Variety called it a retard. Yes, that is what they said. In the next entry at number 14 is The Mist. The first of three Frank uh, Darabont movies in this rundown, this 2007 science fiction monster hybrid is about a small town attacked by space creatures. The film was alternately called riveting and pretentious by critics. Number 13 on the list, Creepshow. Another George A. Romero-directed effort, this popular 1982 horror anthology featured an original screenplay by King. Reviews were mixed. Jay Scott of Toronto Globe and Mail wrote that while Romero fans probably didn't get everything they wanted, they probably got enough. The next on the list is number 12, The Green Mile. Frank Darabont's 1997 drama about the corrections officer who encounters a condemned inmate with special powers is the second biggest box office hit on this list. 136.8 million domestically from the box office. The New York Post's Jonathan Foreman called the Best Picture Oscar nominee a reminder of just how good Hollywood storytelling can be. Number 11 is Dolores Claiborne. This 1995 thriller, based on the same titled novel, tells the story of a woman, Misery's Kathy Bates, accused of killing her employer. Critics generally liked the movie and really loved Bates. A vid vivid film that revolves around Miss Bates' powerhouse of a performance, wrote Janet Maslin of the New York Times. Number 10 on the list, The Shining. Now regarded as horror classic back in the day, 
1980 Stanley Kubrick thriller about a writer who loses his mind while working in a snowbound hotel produced more Razzie nominations, two of them actually, than Oscar nods. Zip. New York Times Janet Maslin raved that it was never less than fascinating. King hated it then, and he hates it now. I will say that this film is probably one of my least favorite Stanley or Stephen King movies, and really my absolute least favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. It's still a good movie, don't get me wrong, but the source material was so good. The story was so good. They could have done so much more with it. Next on the list, coming at number 9, is 1408. This 2007 movie, based on the short story of the same name, is about a or supernatural skeptic and writer who books himself into a supposedly haunted hotel room the film did well domestically at $72 million. It won critical praise as the most mature horror movie of the year, says Boston uh, Baradinella, I think that's how you pronounce it, from Real Views. The next one on the list, uh, number eight, The Dead Zone. In director David Kornberg's 1983 take on the same titled novel, A Clairvoyant Man, played by Christopher Walken, is set on a collision course with a ruthless politician. TV Guide magazine calls the films arguably the best adaptation of a Stephen King novel. Now, I will add my two cents in here. I won't say it is not a good Stephen King adaptation. I would not call it the best, however, especially since this produced or went into a television show featuring uh, Anthony Michael Hall and had little to nothing to do with the book. The book and the movie were close, but still not 100% when it comes to the idealization and the amount of detail that was in the book. Not really that close, but close enough to be called good. Next on the list is the 2017 It, part one, I should say. Pennywise finally got his big screen close-up in this 2017 adaptation of the same titled King novel, previously brought to television via a popular 1990s miniseries. The San Francisco Chronicle called the box office hit, to date, the top-grossing King movie of all time at $700 million worldwide, a film that 
it's guaranteed to have you gripping your seats. I wouldn't go that far, but it was a good movie and close enough to be more than just an adaptation. It was almost source material, though you could say that they took out probably, considering this is the first half of the book, they took out probably about a third of the first half of the book. So, about a sixth of the book. But it was still a good movie. Uh, next on the list is 1922. This period thriller, released via Netflix in 2017, and based on a same-titled Stephen King novella, tells the bloody story of a murderous farmer. The online magazine Conquest of Sound said it benefited from star Thomas Jane giving one of the strongest performances in any King adaptation to date. Now, I will say I haven't seen this. I have heard about it. And hearing that Thomas Jane plays in it, I am more tempted to take a gander at it. Coming in at number five is Cat's Eye. A tabby cat is the connective tissue in this 1985 anthology film that stars Drew Barrymore and features the screenplay by King, who wrote one original yarn, General, and adapted two stories, The Ledger and Quitters, Inc., Roger Ebert called Cat's Eye one of King's most effective films. Next on the list, number four, I call it the 80s all-star movie, Stand By Me. A coming-to-age tale with a corpse is, or it is, based on a King novel or novella titled The Body After All, this popular 1986 Rob Reiner film made stars of its young cast, including River Phoenix, and scored an Oscar nomination for its screenplay. Variety praised the scripters who have written inspirational dialogue. Now, it didn't just have River Phoenix in it. It had Will Wheaton in it. It had Jerry O. Connell in it. It had uh, Corey Feldman in it, River Phoenix, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's, um, I don't, I want to say Scott Baio, but I don't think it was Scott Baio, uh, John Cusack. I mean, it had a huge cast of pretty much every big 80s star imaginable. You can't go wrong with it. Number three, you can kind of tell it was coming up. Misery. This 1990s thriller based on the novel of the same title and about a writer's unhinged number one fan won Kathy Bates the Best Actress Oscar. It also gave director Rob Reiner another king hit with both audience and critics' approval. One of the best movies made from a Stephen King story. 
said Orlando Sentinels' Jay ba uh, Boyer. Number two on the list, another one that you kind of saw coming. Honestly, between number two and number one, I would have said that they were tied. Number two, The Shawshank Redemption. Upon its release in 1994, the third and final movie on our list that was directed by Frank Darabond barely made back its $25 million budget at the domestic box office. But the film about a wrongly convicted man's life behind bars and adapted from the novel Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption went on to earn seven Oscar nominations and eventually a popular following too. Critics were on board all along. Mark Sablov of the Austin Chronicle praised the film as altogether brilliant. And number one on the list. From 1976, Carrie. This 1976 film that starred Hollywood's love affair, or that started Hollywood's love affair with King. From the 74 King novel that launched the writer's career. The tale of Carrie White has been told on screen three times, including the 2002 TV movie. According to critics, Brian, or according to critics, Brian De, De Palma's uh, original version featuring Oscar-nominated performances from Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie is the best. A teasing, terrifying, lyrical shocker per the New York Times' Pauline Kiel. I will say that not only was Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie in it, John Travolta was also in it, but Carrie, at least the 1976 version, was one of the first Stephen King movies I ever watched. Uh, was it the first? No, Stand By Me was the first. The 1990s It miniseries was number two, and then Carrie, then Christine, then Cujo. Anyway, it was one of the movies that got me hooked on Stephen King's actual movies, and later got me hooked on reading his novelizations and novellas, and got me hooked on collecting a lot of his books, and to this day, I think I am only missing maybe maybe a dozen of his books from having every single Stephen King book there is. But that's it. That is the list broken down and ranked of the 39 best uh, or the 39 adaptations that were ranked by comicbook.com. There are a few that I would have liked to put in there, but it's not my 
choice. Um, I would have had included the 1990s miniseries. I would have included the 20 or 2002 um, Carrie made for TV movie. Uh, I want to say there was um, 11-22-63 from uh, that was a series on Hulu. Um, there was a number of other works that could have been done. The Stand is another, or The Shining. No, The Shining was said, so The Stand would have been another good one. Um, Tommy Knockers. Uh, God, so many Stephen King movies that were done. Regulators. Uh, anyway, I digress. So many, so many more that could have been mentioned that weren't, and it was kind of upsetting, but hey, it is what it is. Um, all in all, that's a list that I have put together, or not me put together, but was put together, and I presented it to you. If you want to check out any of these books, any of these movies, and you have Amazon, and you like doing uh, digital movies, or even buying the movies outright, go to the Podbros site. Click on that affiliate link for Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything at all, except a couple of seconds to go to the Podbro site. But you have to go there anyway to listen to this, right? Anyway, you click on that link. You don't get charged anything extra. We get a small kickback from what you buy just to say, hey, we like you, and it helps us keep the lights on in the studio, pay for equipment costs, pay for upgrading equipment, and all that fun stuff. You can also follow us on Patreon and back us there. Um, you give $1 for under compendium uh, tier, which gets you access to a newsletter that I put out, a private Discord channel that you get to actually talk to me in semi liveness um i i'm on a few different discord channels but on this one it's set up to be me and my patreon followers you gain access to this we can discuss movies music tv shows books comic books you name it uh we could discuss future show ideas and if I get enough people on there. I might even do a you get a guest spot. I'm still working on it. Um, but that's what you get for the nerd compendium tier. You could do a beer buddy tier where again you'll get a newsletter saying what we're drinking, what we're thinking about, keeping up to date on the um Thursday crew. There's also a Podburst After Dark show meticulously edited most of the time not safe for work some good hearty laughs and everything so you got that avenue to help support us you can also buy some pod bros merchandise there's a t public site if i'm not mistaken it's t e e 
www.pub.lic.podbros. I think I got that right. I've been listening to John Bruski singing on other shows. So, one more time. T-E-E.pub.lic.podbros. Go there. Check out the uh, t-shirts and everything. I'm still debating about putting out some nerd compendium gear. And that way I can have you guys take pictures of yourself in the nerd compendium gear. Tag me and that way we can show it off that way. Because y'all are better models than I am. But I digress. I think that's all I have for you this week. Stay tuned for more episodes. I think uh, I'm always up open to suggestions. I'm going to try to get a couple more guests on to where you're not hearing me drone on for endless amounts of time. But you know what? All right, time for some housekeeping. As always, you can find me on Podbros Network, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. But you can also find me on Twitter at Dave the Nerd underscore TNC on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Dave's Nerd Compendium. All one word, no apostrophes. You can also go to DaveNC.com and find everything there. Find everything on podbros.com in the Dave the Nerd section. I have a YouTube channel, just search Dave the Nerd. And I'll do, like, unboxings, and I might do, like, a movie review or something on there just to give a little bit of content. And don't forget, while you're on iTunes at Stitcher, to rate the show five stars, thumbs up, whatever they take. And if you write a review, I can read it and then focus the show to be more about what you want to hear. So, with all that being said, thank you ever so kindly. And as always, and if you need a man, find a nerd. (gasps) Overload. Pleasure overload. Excuse me, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world.